Wow. <laughs> that was truly enlightening. On one hand, encouraging, but on the other hand, discouraging. So when we say uh, in this country that black people have come a long way, we always put a comma after that and say, we still have a long way to go. Wow, thank you, Ebony. Thank you, Pastor G, for putting that together for us. You know, the church in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is called the pillar and foundation of the truth. And obviously and foremost, that is speaking of biblical truth, uh, the word of God, Jesus being the truth, the Holy Spirit being the spirit of truth, that the local church is to be a place of truth, the foundation of truth. But also, the church ought to be a place where historical truth um, is enacted, where we're able to connect biblical truth with the things that are happening in society in the past, in our present, and of course, for the future. And uh, I, I just want to take a moment before I get into my sermon today, and I just have to thank God for virtual church. <laughs> Amen. I know we've been doing this for almost a year now, and I know we're weary, we're tired, and look for a letter from myself and the elders this week to talk about uh, our plans going forward in terms of when we may foresee a soft return back to the building uh, in days to come. Uh, but I know that uh, this morning with all of that ice out there, and it was cold, it is cold, I know that had we been meeting this morning, you know, on regular terms, <laughs> y'all wouldn't have come to church this morning. I know y'all. Uh-uh, y'all would have stayed home. So praise God for virtual church that you don't have to get out there on these streets and uh, endanger yourself to come into the house of the Lord. And so one thing that Dr. Jewell has been impressing upon us as we meet as a staff is that uh, church is going to look different going forward no matter what. And so as a church, we will, Lord willing, be meeting soon as I mentioned, in a soft way uh, to return back in the fellowship of the sanctuary. But we'll always maintain our presence online because uh, we know some of y'all are just not going to come no matter what. So it's just a different day. It's just a different day. But praise God this morning that you get to be nestled in your warm home, worshiping the Lord uh, virtually. Praise the Lord. And yesterday, um, by way of history, the Senate uh, decided not to, uh, or rather they decided to acquit former President Donald Trump of inciting the insurrection that occurred on January 6th. They decided to acquit him. And many of us knew that that would happen, regardless of the amount of evidence that would say otherwise and call for some kind of conviction and discipline. We know that there are people who are more committed to party than they are committed to truth, than they are committed to justice and even the will of the American people. And that's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. Matter of fact, uh, what we saw is that when the Senate acquitted Donald Trump, in doing so, they upheld the most enduring institution in America, and that is white supremacy. By acquitting him, they upheld the most enduring institution in this country, that being white supremacy, because there's no way you can tell me that had Barack Obama done the things that Donald Trump did to see our capital attacked and to see members of Congress threatened and having to hide for their lives, to see five people pass away who didn't need to die that day, um, there's no way you could tell me that he would be acquitted of such dastardly deeds. Uh, but even though Congress may have acquitted, the Senate may have acquitted Donald Trump, um, unless that man repents, he will stand before another court one day. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 20 that the books will be open. I say that to say this, that God will not be mocked. Um, one of the things that God hates is when scales are imbalanced and we call wrong right and right wrong. 
God will not be mocked. And so we continue to pray for our nation because one thing Donald Trump um, has shown us, he, he, he's lied about a lot of things. Uh, but one thing he didn't lie about is when he said he could kill someone and still go up in points. And so whether he announces he's going to run in 2024 or not, again, that is not our concern. Our concern is what the Lord is doing today, and we continue to pray for uh, the current administration. They are not perfect, but I appreciate their work effort and what they're trying to do, especially by way of the vaccine to make it available to any and all Americans who stand in need of it. So let's continue to pray as we are told in Scripture to pray for our governing authorities. Amen. Well, today is Valentine's Day, as Brother Jonathan said to you in our opening and in our welcome. It is Valentine's Day. Amen. And, uh, and, and if you have somebody next to you that you're in love with, just go ahead and give them a hug. Uh, if you happen to be single, uh, just hug yourself. And as Jonathan encouraged us to make sure we love on the Lord, as Pastor G talked about the agape love of God. And didn't my brother G look so smooth in his red sweater this morning? Amen. G money coming through with the red. Amen. I know Donna waiting on the brother, so let's hurry up and get this service over so he can go home and be with his bride. Amen. All right, all right. So today for Valentine's Day and for Black History Month, I am going to preach a message entitled Black Wives Matter. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here at Strong Tower Bible Church, Black Wives Matter. Now, as I go to prayer, I just need you to be open because it may not be what you think it's going to be in terms of this message. So I just need you to, to hang with me, all right? There is a word from the Lord for all of us, whether we're black, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're Caucasian, there is a word for all of us today. So let's talk to Daddy and ask him to bless this time. Father God, thank you for another day to be in the land of the living, to tell people, Lord, that they can know you for themselves, that in the land of the living, the Bible says, with the living, there is hope. And because we're alive today, Lord, I pray that those who may be discouraged may recognize that you're not finished with them yet. They are alive. And I pray, Lord, that they would be alive in Christ Jesus if they're not. Lord, I thank you that since we are alive in Christ, we not only have eternal life, but we also have life and life more abundantly. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the difference maker. Our lives revolve around you just as the earth revolves around the sun. Jesus, you are everything. We're so glad you came. So glad you suited up. You poured all of your glory into human flesh and you came to earth in order to give your life in exchange for ours. You paid for our sin debt in full. You became cursed on the cross so that we could be blessed in the presence of the Father. We thank you for the righteousness that has been dispensed to us, declaring us justified with God. We thank you that it's sealed, it's done. We thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus and Jesus, I just want to say this morning, thank you that you defeated death. Thank you for your resurrection because until you came, Lord, death was undefeated. Death was taking everybody down. But Lord, it could not keep you down. Oh God, and that is our hope today. I pray for those who are still grieving loved ones who've passed. Lord, may they know that their loved ones in the Lord are more alive today than they have ever been. Oh God, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Lord, help me to preach the gospel as I attempt to preach the counsel of the word of God. Holy Spirit, have your way. Touch my heart as you touch the hearts of every listener. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask it all. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Black Wives matter. In 1950, that's right, 1950, 
A boy named Richard Loving met a girl named Mildred Jeter. He was 17. She was 11. They both lived in Central Point, Virginia, which at that time was a rare town because it was a multiracial community in the midst of a segregated state. Richard was white and Mildred was black Indian. She was of mixed ancestry. She was part native. You know, the term Indian is even offensive, and I won't get into that. But she was of mixed ancestry. And many times she would identify more with her Cherokee roots than with her African-American roots. You see, most southern states had laws in those days to the effect that any person having any quote-unquote Negro blood in them whatsoever was classified as a Negro. So the old saying was, one drop of black blood would make you black or Negro. And so she was classified as a Negro. The United States Bureau of the Census once declared a person of white and Negro blood should be returned as Negro, or that is, identified as Negro. No matter how small the percentage of Negro blood. So back then they were, I guess, classifying blood count. You know, how much blood? Negro blood, white blood. <laughs> Again, we've come a long way. A person of mixed Indian and Negro blood, according to the census, should be returned or classified as a Negro. So once again, the old saying was true back then that one drop of quote-unquote black blood made a person black. And this was used to discourage people from uh, having relations with black people and from marrying black people and thus having children with black people because back, back then, white people did not want to be classified as Negro. So they didn't want their children to be classified as Negro. And so there was this discouragement of intermingling, intermarrying with black people. Now, although there were laws on the books, if you will, discouraging uh, relationships between uh, blacks and whites, as well as marital relationships between blacks and whites. We know that off the record, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. Off the record, uh, there was a whole lot of uh, what they say uh, back in the day under Spike Lee, a whole lot of jungle fever going on. But there were these laws that were put forth. And that law, those laws were put in place to maintain the purity of the quote-unquote white race to maintain white supremacy. So the last thing you wanted to do was to intermarry or intermingle with those folks because your children would be mongrels, according to some in that day. Oh, my. You see, this young couple, they grew up. And as they grew up, they started dating. And I'm speaking of Richard Loving and Mildred Jeter. And they decided in 1958 that they wanted to get married. But they couldn't get married in Virginia because of the quote-unquote Racial Integrity Act of 1924. The Racial Integrity Act of 1924, which banned and criminalized marriage between people classified as white and colored. And in this act, they have the nerve to use integrity. But anyway, uh, in those days, interracial marriage was forbidden by law in 31 states of our country. So in 1958, 31 states forbid people marrying across racial categorizations. Well, Richard and Mildred, because they were in love, 
went to nearby Washington, D.C., and got married. But then, after a few days, they returned back to Central Point, Virginia. And the local police was aware that they were in town, and they decided to raid their home in the early morning hours of July 11th, 1958. And they raided their home, hoping to find the couple having marital relations because interracial relations was also illegal in Virginia. Um, so not only was interracial marriage illegal, but so was interracial relations. So they bust into the home, hoping to find the couple engaged in marital relations. And when the officers found the couple sleeping in their bed, Mildred pointed out their marriage license that was hanging on the wall as if to say, we are legal, we are right. However, the police said to them, the certificate was not valid in the state of Virginia. And so the Lovings were arrested and charged with a felony punishable by one to five years in prison. The Lovings pled guilty, listen to this, to cohabitating as man and wife. They pled guilty to cohabitating as man and wife, and they were sentenced to one year in prison with the sentence being suspended on condition that the couple leave Virginia and not return together for at least 25 years. So we'll drop this one year prison sentence if you promise to leave our state and not return again together, my God, for at least 25 years. Well, after their conviction, the Lovings decided to move to Washington, D.C., and in Washington, the Lovings began legal action by writing U.S. Attorney General Robert Kennedy. And Robert Kennedy referred the case to the American Civil Liberties Union, also known as the ACLU. And on June 12, 1967, Almost 10 years after they were married, 1967, this thing had been caught up in litigation on the local level and now on the federal level, federal level, but now the United States Supreme Court heard the case and issued a unanimous 9-0 to zero decision in the Loving versus Virginia case that overturned the Loving's criminal convictions and struck down anti-miscegenation laws in the United States. Anti-miscegenation laws, again, it speaks of people interbreeding as if they're animals and intermarrying when a Negro is involved <laughs> or a non-white person because this thing hit Asian folks, it hit Native people, it hit Latino people, Again, because there was this desire to keep pure the quote-unquote white race. And by the way, as I think about the, these anti-miscegenation uh, laws, uh, America operated by those laws, but so did Nazi Germany, and so did South Africa in order to keep apartheid alive. And there's great old America right there in the midst with those other countries. But thankfully, the Supreme Court decided to stand on the right side of truth, and they made the decision. And so therefore, June 12th became Loving Day. And so ever since that time in 1967, which was one year before I was born, so we're talking 53 years ago, when uh, anti-miscegenation laws were cast down, uh, people who have married interracially have celebrated the fact that they were able to do that ever since then, uh, back in, let's see here, 1967. So, uh, several songs 
have been written about the Lovings. And to date, three movies have been written or portrayed about their experiences. Well, there are two things I, I have to say before I get into the scriptures. Number one, we see the power of white male privilege at work in that case. I believe, um, had it been switched, that if it was a black male who was wanting to marry or had married a white female, I doubt uh, we would have seen uh, the courts rule in the favor of the lovings. Can I say that again? We, we, we see white male privilege at work here. And there's a place for white people to use your privilege in order to see justice done. Because again, had it been switched around, because in those days there was a myth perpetuated that the white community needed to be very much aware of the presence of the black man as pertains to his relationship to white women. And I won't, again, I can't chase that right now, but there was a stigma placed on relationships uh, with black men and white women. And history tells us over and over again of how white women were able to get black men lynched, killed, burned, castrated, all of that. And so, so there was the stigma with the black man and the white woman. But in this case, you had a white man who was older and a black woman who was younger. Again, can you imagine had it been an older black man with a younger white woman having gotten married? No, it wouldn't have made the courts. They would have strung him up in those days. So I'm glad that Richard Loving loved this woman enough to go against the backlash in the community and even around the country. That's what love will do when it's real, my God. But secondly, I see from this is that social progress by and large for black people in this country have come from the courts and have even come from Congress. It didn't come from the church. I use three C's so that you can remember it. Social progress, by and large, for black people in this country did not come from the church. The people who say, preach the gospel, it didn't come from the church. It came from courts and it came from Congress. That's how black people have been able to have some level of social justice and progress in this country. So therefore, when people from today's white evangelical church tell black believers that they don't believe in social justice, just preach the gospel as if the gospel does not deal with matters of social justice. Uh, we, we can't listen to you because had we just let the church be the church, we might still be in slavery somewhere. We might still be under segregation today because the church was culpable to the things that were going on in the land because the church found Bible passages in order to support slavery and even segregation. So the church was a willing participant to the racism that was going on in our country for hundreds of years. But thankfully the courts, because the courts were tainted with racism, the courts were tainted with white supremacy. But thankfully over the years and in this particular case in 1967, the courts, were they decided to stand on the truth. My, 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 my. You see, it's a shame that this so-called Christian nation did not rely on what the Bible says in order to determine its position on interracial marriage. But guess what? The church, the white fundamentalist church, did use the Bible not to support interracial marriage, as the Bible teaches, but they used the Bible to cast down interracial marriage because they read into the Bible their biases, their prejudices, their racism. And so they committed eisegesis instead of doing exegesis. They read their racism into the text. And so when God would discourage Israel from marrying uh, the surrounding nations as they were on their trek to the promised land and God discouraged them from intermarrying with the Canaanites. 
the white church came along and said that God discourages marriage between blacks and whites. They took a big leap on this thing. But we got to recognize here that when God discouraged intermarriage between themselves and the surrounding Canaanites and Philistines and Jebusites and on and on and on, that was for religious reasons, not for racist reasons. It's about religion, if you will, not race. But the church came along and they made it about race, not about religion. Let me put it this way to you. The white church in America often misused the Bible to reinforce its racial biases. However, the biblical criteria for a Christian marriage is to be based on sameness of faith and not sameness of race. Yeah, 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 that, that's what the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Paul said that if you're going to remarry, after your loved one has passed or there has been a divorce, and if you're going to remarry, Paul says the person needs to be in the Lord, in the Lord. That is the biblical criteria for Christian marriage in the kingdom of God, in the Lord. Not necessarily in the same skin that you're in, but in the Lord. Oh, I wish somebody would have stood up back in the day to let the truth be known. But guess what? It's 2021, and I have no problem standing up, even if I got to stand by myself and say, what well, thus saith the Lord, because we all have been conditioned because of the environment that we've been in, this racist air that we have breathed our entire lives, that we now have implicit biases and inherent prejudices. We all need to be honest about those things because the only people that Jesus can heal are people who admit that they have some sickness. But the day we say, I'm okay, uh, you know, I don't see color, I don't have any problems with anybody, we'll remain sick. But when we can be honest and say, Lord, I've been conditioned by what my grandfather taught me. I've been conditioned in the home, the area, the, the, the school, the church I grew up in, and I need deliverance, Lord. I, I need my mind transformed by the word of God that I may know what the will of God is. Oh my, oh my. And so last week I told you that Solomon had a black or African or Hamitic wife. I told you that last week. In the Song of Solomon chapter one, his wife proclaimed, I am dark and lovely. Some versions will go on to say that this woman said, I am black and beautiful. So this Hebrew man married a Hamitic or descendant of Ham, he married an African woman, a black woman. And so I'm here to declare that it's a blessing for a man who is not black to have a black wife. Ha! Can I say it one more again? It is a blessing for a man who is not black to have a black wife. Chris Clausey, can I get an amen? <laughs> Randy Dowell, can I get an amen? Tyler Bullock, can I get an amen? <laughs> I know Prince Harry is thankful for his black wife, even though other folk discouraged him from marrying her. <laughs> I know he's thankful for Sister Megan. I know Robert De Niro is thankful for his black wife. What about George Lucas, David Bowie, Roger Ebert? Wolfgang Puck and Dirk Nowitzki, they all are thankful for their black wives. And if the young man who is dating my oldest daughter continues to play his cards right, he too will one day testify that black wives matter. My God. <laughs> Doug Imhoff is the husband of Vice President Kamala Harris. Imhoff is the first second gentleman uh, uh, in American history. And although Imhoff passes for white, he is Jewish, meaning that he is the first Jewish spouse of a vice president of the United States of America. So history tells us that Doug Imhoff is not the first Jewish man of significance 
to fall in love with and marry a black woman because the Bible has so many examples of Jewish men, Hebrew men, Semitic men falling in love with African, Hamitic, and black women. So, 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 Imhoff is not the first. The Bible is full of examples. And so let me share with you just a few of them, just a few, in order to prove on this Valentine's Day that black wives matter. So out the gate, we got to start with Father Abraham. <laughs> Father Abraham, we got to start with him first, okay? So here's what I want you to see. Abraham believed that having a black wife mattered. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, Genesis chapter 16, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Stop and pause. The Bible says she was Egyptian. The Bible is a spiritual book, but it's not so spiritual that it doesn't mention the ethnicity of folks or where they come from or even what they look like. So the Bible is letting us know that Hagar was Egyptian. Well, where did she come from? Because Abram had, you know, this uh, caravan. He had a, a community of people that he was building. I mean, man, wh where did she come from? Well, in the earlier chapters of Genesis, when uh, Abram and Sarai went into Egypt, they decided to lie. Abram said, don't, don't tell people you're my wife. Let's just say you're my sister so they don't kill me. And he did this mess in Egypt. And he was dealing with uh, the Egyptian king at that time. Well, long story short, by the time he left Egypt on his way to the promised land, because he went there because of a famine and a drought. But when he got up out of there, he came out with servants men's servants and maidservants, and in that throng, no doubt, was Hagar. So Hagar, he, he, this man increased when he was doing the wrong thing. That's grace right there. He, he lied, but God still blessed him because God is merciful like that. And he came out of Egypt with more than when, what he went into Egypt with. And he came out with some Egyptians as maidservants. And this is where Hagar comes from. Verse 2, so Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Stop and pause. Sarai is desperate. She was told that she would have a child. And she was already old or older when God gave that promise. And so it's been at least 10 years since God said, you're going to have a child. It hadn't happened yet. So she's discouraged and she is leaning on her own understanding. She comes up with a plan and says, why don't you go into our Egyptian handmaid and have a child for me through her? Now, the Bible says that Father Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Now, this is funny to me on one level, because when we read... Abram's story in the book of Genesis, homeboy, would he would hardly take 10 steps without praying to God and without building an altar to God. He would always pray on his journey. God, what should I do? God, what should I do? But on this particular situation, homeboy did not pray at all. Uh, uh, mama came up with an idea. He said, okay, baby, I, I participate in that. Brahman did not pray because I believe he knew that had he prayed, God would have told him no. Pastor, how do you say that? Because that was a time he was trying to make Eliezer of Damascus his heir, but God says no. He was talking to God about it, and God says no. The, the heir is going to come from your body, from your wife. So he prayed about that, but he didn't pray about this one. <laughs> I bet Hagar was fine. Homeboy was, ah, okay, yeah, baby, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Verse 3, then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, again, another emphasis on her ethnicity, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. 
So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Oh my, there's trouble in Camelot. Mm -mm -mm. Now, now brothers, uh, 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 no man needs to be with two women, all right? Uh, matter of fact, let me, matter of fact, before I move on to my next example, let me offer some free relationship advice since we're here on Valentine's Day. And that is, don't use people. Don't use people. Pastor, what you talking about? You see, Sarah was willing to use Hagar to get a child, or so she thought. And little Ishmael would come along. Uh -uh. So, so she was going to use Hagar. And then Abram was willing to use Hagar for his own desires. He didn't care about her. <laughs> How do I know he didn't care about her? Because when Sarah came later and oppressed and even beat Hagar and sent her away, Abram didn't try to stand up for her. Matter of fact, when, when it came time to, to, to send her away, he gave her like some water and a little bit of something to eat you know, some, some strange child support from this wealthy patriarch. He didn't care about her. He used her. And, and guess what? Hagar used Abram so that she could have a one-up on Sarah, which is why there was all this fighting going on in their tent. They were using each other. And if you're in a relationship where you're using people, you don't have a relationship. If you're using them for what you can get from them, you want to be attached to them and connected to them because of what you'll get, that you don't really care about the person, you're nothing but a gold digger. <laughs> but, but anyway, let, can, can I keep on going to my second example of Hebrew love? Uh, uh, and, and this ain't jungle fever. This is kingdom fever these brothers got. So let's go to the second one, and that's my boy Joseph. Joseph, let's go to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Oh, yeah. Let me see if I can get it. Genesis 41, beginning at verse 44. And the Bible reads, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paniah And he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Look at verse 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. When Asenath, a daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So here's Joseph, and you're familiar with his story. Um, he's one of the sons of Israel. Uh, there, uh, he has 11 brothers, uh, but the father favors him, makes him this special coat. And, uh, and so the brothers envied him and they despised him, and so they ambushed him one day. But, and Joseph was a tattletale. He would tell on when they weren't working and stuff. Uh, uh, not enough for your brothers to come down on you like that. They, they were going to kill him, but Reuben said, don't kill him. So they put him in a ditch. They went and had lunch, and then there were some Midianite traders coming by, uh, and they decided to pull their brother up and sell him to the Midianites, and they split the money. Uh, took his coat, dipped it in blood, tore it up, went back home and told daddy that he had gotten killed by beasts. And so these young men lived with the lie for many, many, many years, while Joseph lived in slavery for many, many years. 
And as a slave, he was then sold to a man named Potiphar, who had him work in his house. And Potiphar had a wife who tried to come on to Joseph, but Joseph had integrity. And he ran away from her every day until he ultimately ran out of the house. Then she accused him of trying to assault her and take advantage of her. Uh, And then he was thrown into jail. And while he was in jail, the Lord was with him and the favor of God was still upon him in such a precarious situation. And he ended up interpreting dreams for the baker and the butler, which led to him getting out of jail eventually because it was said that there was a Hebrew man who could interpret dreams. Pharaoh had a dream that troubled him. No one could interpret it. But one man said, I remember a guy when I was locked up doing my bid. He could interpret your dream. So Joseph was brought out. He interpreted the king's dream. The king made him second in command, and he said, I'm going to give you a wife. And he gave him an Egyptian or African wife because you do know Egypt is on the continent of Africa. So technically, Egyptians are Africans. So Joseph, the Hebrew, married a black wife. He married a Hamitic or African wife, and they ended up having two children. They had the first child, Manasseh, which means forget because of all the trauma he had been through. He felt that God had not forgotten him and blessed him with a wife and now with a son, allowing him to forget all of the pain that he had gone through. But technically, he really didn't forget that pain. That's a whole nother sermon right there. But then the next child, Ephraim, means fruitful, meaning that God was able to bless him even in the midst of all of his trauma. So before I go on to my next point, my next example of a Hebrew man in love with a black woman, can I give you some free uh, advice on this Valentine's Day? And that free advice is, don't let a hard past keep you from having a blessed future. Don't let a hard past keep you from having a blessed future. And some of us are not in relationships today because the trauma of our past has bound us. It has so kept us entrenched that we can't go forward because we're always looking back. We can't meet someone new and entrust ourselves to them because we're still hurt over what he did or over what she did. And I'm just here to let you know that God has blessed, he's with us, but, but, but what he has for you is in front of you, not behind you. And so don't limit what God wants to do because you can't let go of how someone hurt you, including your family members, because that pain in your heart is causing you not to be a likable person. Uh, 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 because you've been visited by venom, People now see you as a toxic individual. And so therefore, you sabotage your own relationships because you're afraid of love. You don't think you deserve somebody because of what you've been through or what you did to somebody. This is where grace comes in. Grace allows us to start again and again and again. Ah, so let me go on now to number three. Moses believed that having a black wife mattered. Yes, he did. Moses believed this. So let's go on over to uh, 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 Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. I'll begin reading at verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Do do, do you see the repetition there? Uh, uh, Moses, who wrote Numbers, is trying to let you know that he has a black wife, and he's proud about it. (laughs) Uh, uh, She, her, her name being Zipporah, she is a Cushite, an Ethiopian, an African. Yes, yes, yes. Verse two, so they said, Speaking of his brother and sister, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Oh, my goodness. Moses. Moses had a black wife, an African wife. And when I was in Bible college and they were trying to tell us in 1986 and 87, 
when we would sit and have orientation and they would go through the code of conduct for the school. And they highly discouraged interracial dating on the campus. Uh, they highly discouraged it based on passages in the Old Testament that they took out of context about Jews and Canaanites. Again, it was for religion, not about race. But they wanted to encourage or rather discourage interracial dating on the campus, meaning that we don't want to see none of you black boys talking to any of our white girls on this campus, especially if you played on the football team like I did for about two and a half weeks. We don't want to see you uh, holding hands with, dating, going out with the precious, prized white woman on this campus. So I would be the one in orientation that would raise my hand and say, excuse me, uh, uh, but can somebody talk to me about Moses? Because Moses married someone outside of his ethnic group. Moses married a black woman. And uh, somehow, someway, they would skip me and go on over to the next question because they couldn't answer that. Oh, they hated that one. Whenever I would bring that up in my classes, oh, they hated that. And I guess there's still something in me that likes to lovingly mess with racists. It's just something in me. You know, I just like to mess with them and see them turn red and hopefully begin to identify truly with the Christ who shed his red blood to set us all free. Come on, somebody. Somebody got to preach the word of God. And Moses, oh yeah, he had kingdom fever. He had kingdom fever and had a couple of kids with her too. Now, Joseph's kids, Ephraim and Manasseh, were grafted into the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning that within the tribes of Israel, there is no pure Hebrew line, if you will. Now there is an African presence within the 12 tribes. And Moses had two sons. I believe one's name was Eliezer and the other's name was Gershom. And he also had a black father-in-law named Jethro. He was a priest of Midian. Oh my God, all of this is in the Bible. All of this is in the Bible. But if we whitewash the Bible, and if we make everybody white in the Bible, and the villain's black, because somehow Ham, who is the progenitor of all people of color, one of Noah's sons, somehow Ham is always black when it comes to a curse. But he and his descendants are never black when it comes to contributions to the kingdom of God. Oh my goodness. So, 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 so Zipporah, she was a fine Egyptian, Afro-Asiatic woman, y'all. Black wives matter. Turn to your neighbor. No, don't do that. But anyway, Moses believed that having a black wife, because there came a time when God was going to kill Moses. That's right. God was going to kill him. Why? because Moses didn't take care of things at home. He was late on circumcising his son. And God was looking for him, the Bible says, to kill him. But Zipporah, what a beautiful helpmeet, stepped in the gap, circumcised their son because Moses didn't do it, and she threw the foreskin at her husband and said, you have become a husband of blood to me. In other words, man, you almost messed up up in here. And God stayed his hand of judgment against his servant Moses because that black wife mattered and stepped in the gap and saved her husband's life. Thank God for black wives. Thank God. And before I move on to my next point, can I offer some free advice since it's Valentine's Day? And that is, don't let your family members hinder you because you love someone of another ethnicity. Be, be, because uh, 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 Miriam and Aaron had a problem with Moses' Ethiopian wife. So, so don't let your family members hinder you from being with the person that God has for you. Don't let their prejudice cause you to miss a blessing. Uh, uh, don't let what your grandfather says don't let what your auntie says, and this goes not only for white folks, but also for black folks. Don't let your ancestors discourage you if you want to date outside of your quote-unquote race and marry. Now, you talk to them about the world we live in and the real challenges that are out there and upon them, but I heard that Paul says somewhere about love uh, is able to conquer all. So, so if it's love, it will last. But if it's a fag 
or, or some uh, uh, curiosity, or you're trying to make a statement by dating so-and-so, man, that ain't going to make it. That ain't going to make it. So, 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 so you got to watch out for your family. Because what Aaron and Miriam did was they played the race card. But race really wasn't the issue. The issue was power. Because they were like, has God only spoken through Moses? I mean, we're prophets too. Why doesn't God use us the way he's using Moses? But they led with the race card, but really it was a pride issue. It was a pride issue. And usually that's what's going on a lot of times. People lead with the race card. It's, it's an issue of pride. Uh, but anyway, God came down because the Bible says God heard it. God heard their murmuring. God heard it and God came down and he judged the situation. And when the cloud of the Lord lifted up, and he left the place. Moses was standing there, but his brother and sister, no, no, excuse me, his sister Miriam, uh, uh, her skin was leprous. Or in other words, it was bleach white. Now, the reason why God may have struck her is because she may have been the main catalyst in leading Aaron astray. Because we know Aaron can follow uh, people in the wrong path in a second and, and build you a golden calf. Aaron was a follower so Miriam, her name is mentioned first in the text, which means she may have been the chief instigator about Moses marrying an Ethiopian woman, but the real issue was pride that God wasn't using her to speak and lead the way he was using Moses. So, 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 so in other words, if you got a problem with skin color, you got a problem with black skin on this beautiful Ethiopian woman, okay, I'm going to touch your skin and make you white. And you're just going have to have to live with the opposite extreme of this beautiful black skin. Now your olive complexion has been turned into white leprosy, a disease. Because there's a disease inside of you that needs to be dealt with. And the whole camp couldn't move on until Miriam sat outside the camp the days that God allotted with her white leprous skin. Ah, it's in the book. But let me move on now to my next Hebrew, and that is David. David believed that having a black wife mattered. Oh, yes, he did. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I'll begin reading at verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Uh, 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 let me see here. Let me, let me keep on reading. Uh, no, no, I'll stop right there. I'll stop right there. So, 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 so here's what we got here. David sees a woman bathing. And her name is Bathsheba because he goes and inquires. Now, Bathsheba, um, her name has within it African uh, ancestry. Because if we would go back to the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, we see that Sheba is a descendant of Ham. And so she is more than likely a Hamite or an African or a woman of color. And she's married to Uriah the Hittite. And the Hittites find their ancestry from Ham, according to Genesis chapter 10. So David has within his army Hamites or Hittites who are married to other Hamites or someone from Sheba, Bathsheba. So there's a strong reason to believe that Bathsheba was a woman of color or a black woman. And so David looks out one day from the roof of his palace because Uriah was one of his mighty men, and the mighty men's homes surrounded the palace of the king. So when he's looking out, he's looking out at his mighty men's homes, and now he's looking at a mighty man's wife. And he calls for her, and she comes. My belief is that they knew each other because of proximity and because her husband was one of David's personal guard. They knew each other. I don't believe this was the first time that they exchanged glances in the middle of the night. Uh, I believe they knew each other because she comes willingly into his home and into his bedroom. Uh, and some have said, man, she really didn't have a choice because uh, that's the king saying, come here. No, I believe she had a choice. She was a grown woman. And, uh, and David had a choice 
because someone said, man, she belongs to somebody. That, that was his point right there to get out of it. And she could have gotten out of it by saying, I'm not coming. But because there was some kind of mutual lust affair, they got together that night. And when she found out she was pregnant, there was no fear in Bathsheba. She sent a message to David saying, I'm pregnant. And he, she knew that he would not kill her or try to terminate the baby because they had something. Even though it was wrong, they had something. And later on, she would become married to him. Matter of fact, let, let me read it to you in verse 50. No, excuse me, 26, verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead because David had him killed, she mourned for her husband, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So had he uh, assaulted her, taken advantage of her, I find it hard to believe that she would marry him. Uh, but she married him because she was a willing accomplice in this situation. And she would go on to be his main wife, out of his many wives. Pastor, so why are you bringing all this up? Well, before I move on to my conclusion, can I offer some free relationship advice since it's Valentine's Day? And that is, don't mess with other women when you're a married man. Happy Valentine's Day. And don't mess with other men when you're a married woman. <laughs> don't mess with people, all right? That's some advice. So if you're married, don't mess with someone that's single. Don't mess with somebody that's married. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, the marriage bed is undefiled, meaning that any other bed is defiled no matter how much you say you loved it him, <laughs> no matter how much you say you loved it her, no matter how much you feel justified in creeping and sleeping with someone else that you're not married to or who's married to someone else, the Bible says that God was displeased with David. God saw it and he was displeased. And David paid handsomely for this. He paid handsomely for this sin of adultery. But thank God he repented. Thank God he repented. Well, Pastor Chris, I hear you. I hear you. Black wives matter. Pastor, I hear you. But Pastor, that's all Old Testament stuff. Are there any examples in the New Testament of Hebrew men marrying African or black women? Because, man, you got me as you talked about Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David. But that's Old Testament. Pastor, what about the New Testament? Can you point out one example of a Hebrew man married to a black woman? Well, well, ah, oh boy, let me see here. Uh, that's a great question. And really... I can't definitively point that out in the New Testament the way it is spoken so clearly in the Old Testament. But, but, there might be one example I can look to of a Hebrew man who didn't necessarily marry a black woman, but he married a multi-ethnic woman. That's what you're talking about. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, he has a bride, and his bride is uh, uh, made up of people from every ethnic group, every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. So Jesus' bride is mixed. Jesus' bride, according to the old standard of one drop of blood makes you black, according to that standard of racism in the past, that means that Jesus' bride is black. <laughs> Woo! Oh, let me go. Revelation! Revelation! And I'm going to take my seat <laughs> and try to get home. <laughs> Revelation 
chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. There's a great multitude in heaven. And based on Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, those are the redeemed of the Lord, again, out of every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue, because the gospel is the power of God, not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. So Jesus is bride. They've come from the north, the south, the east, the west. Uh, God told Abram, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth through you, every family, not just Jewish families, because I'm going to send a Messiah to come through here who's going to shed his blood for everyone. So there's this group of people in heaven saying, hallelujah, worthy is the lamb. Oh, can I go on down to verse six now? Verse six says, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. There's a marriage that's going to happen in heaven with Jesus, the lamb and his bride, which is the church or the redeemed of the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 8, and to her, the bride, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, right now, we're in a betrothal with Jesus. We're legally married, and it's binding, But the marriage hasn't been consummated because we haven't been taken home to the groom's house yet. Remember, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be with me also. That's speaking in the Hebrew context of the groom coming to get the bride to take the bride to his house to consummate the union. And so we're betrothed, man. We're legal, man. But, the, but, but we will consummate, if you will, in heaven when the Lord comes back and brings us to glory. And there's an official marriage of the lamb and the bride. And his bride is made up of people from every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. And so our Lord Jesus would say that having a multiracial wife matters greatly. Oh, my. And if black wives matter to God, should they not matter to us? So before I close my Bible and close this message, I've got one last piece of free advice. You don't even have to pay me for this. This is free. One last piece of free advice since it's Valentine's Day, and that is don't be afraid to be like Jesus and marry someone outside of your ethnicity. That's what Jesus did. His bride is not purely Hebrew. His bride is of mixed ancestry. Mestizo, if you will. (laughs) Jesus has a bride of color. So to my white brothers, my white sisters, Don't be afraid to date, consider, and even marry someone outside of your ethnic group. To my black brothers, my black sisters, don't be afraid to be like Jesus and pursue and love and marry someone outside of your own ethnic group. I know you ain't trying to hear all that. But what if God's best for you is someone that you would have never considered? See, I love my wife, but I didn't have eyes for her when I first saw her. There was no love at first sight. I mean, she looked at all of this uh, uh, caramel goodness and, and, and she wasn't, you know, it wasn't love at first sight, you know. But in time, God gave me eyes to see this woman in a different light and vice versa. And sometimes we may miss a blessing 
because we're afraid of what others are going to say or tradition. You see, we can all have preferences, preferences of who we're attracted to and who we prefer to marry. But don't let your preferences cause you to be prejudiced or to miss being blessed by the Lord. Because 1 Corinthians 7.39 says that if you are to marry, the person needs to be in the Lord. I once heard Dr. Tony Evans, one of my mentors, say many years ago, because of prejudice and fear, some of us as parents would rather have our children marry someone of the same racial group who doesn't know the Lord versus marrying someone of another racial group that does know the Lord. And so we're driven by fear as opposed to being led by love. My God, happy Valentine's Day. And let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that the Bible, it tells the truth. Lord, will you continue to renew our mind and deliver us from the ways in which we've been conditioned in this racist culture? America can be so much better. But Lord, it starts with the church. Judgment starts here. We've got to examine ourselves. We must repent of doctrines of demons. We must repent of eisegesis an implicit bias that causes us to see people as other and as things or as less worthy or not as equal. Thank you for the truth. Use the truth, Lord, to set us free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.